0: Well, on the heels of news of escalating tension there between the North and the South in Korea, next we have a look at a hugely powerful Korean leader with a big army at his command and an aggressive posture. Now, it's not Kim Jong-un. It's Lee Kung-hee. He's one of South Korea's most influential economic leaders, and he's chairman of Samsung. Now, that's a company that is now the biggest consumer electronics maker in the entire world. And while Lee isn't exactly a household name here, like the late uh, Steve Jobs is here in America or Bill Gates... His influence is most definitely felt at Apple, no question about it. Sony, and increasingly in the hands of an American, American consumers looking for an alternative to the iPhone. Now, Sam Grobart is senior writer for Bloomberg Businessweek. He's written an in-depth look at the rise of Samsung and has visited their headquarters in South Korea, all over the country there, and his cover story is out today. He joins me in the studio now. Hi, Sam. Howdy. Well, you, uh, let's take a listen. We want to start off here with um, what you might call an attack ad almost we're used to attack ads in politics here's a commercial that might be perceived as an attack ad in the electronics world
1: hey man oh, hey. how's it going mm-hmm. saved you a spot i moved on but you're not gonna miss all this uh, i got the samsung gs3 now is that a samsung that's a new samsung it is it's pretty cool <laughs>
0: Now, isn't that the one with envious young iPhone users, envious of the new
1: Samsung phone? Yes, that was Samsung really kind of taking it to Apple, which was very unusual for them to do. And in fact, back in Seoul, back in South Korea, that ad was viewed um, a bit suspiciously by some of the brass up at Samsung. Now,
0: you take a look inside this giant corporation and its veneration of its leader, sort of in the Korean style maybe. But what you really study here is the transformation of Samsung from a company that made dusty second-rate TVs that sat at the back of the store to the giant that they are today that makes some of the most popular phones and electronics,
1: the most high-quality electronics in the whole world. What has that transformation been like? It has been a rapid and very strong transformation that's taken place over the last 20 years, and that is a a time period that corresponds to Samsung's revenues increasing 5,700%, which is just staggering. Nearly 6,000, yeah. Yeah, nearly 6,000%. It's like winning the lottery, basically. And it's a company that, back in 1993... Chairman Lee had a very, you know, a very long conversation with his top executives. In fact, it lasted three days. This was the three day speech in Frankfurt that you describe this. That is exactly it is known within the company as the Frankfurt Declaration of 1993. And it is always said in its entirety. And this is when Chairman Lee had been traveling the world. Uh, during that trip, he discovered the dusty TVs in the back of a Southern California electronics store. He was very dismayed to see that. And by the time he got to the Kempinski Hotel in Frankfurt, he decided he needed to do something. He summoned more than 200 executives to Frankfurt where he laid out for them his vision for the company. And that vision became known within the company as new management, capital N, capital M. And so the Frankfurt Declaration of 1993 and the new management, which was introduced there, became sort of – the guide for the company. Uh, In fact, a 200-page book was published from that event and distributed to every Samsung employee, as well as a glossary book to explain some of the terms in the first book. And for employees who didn't know how to read, they put out a cartoon version. Just to make sure that every single employee was indoctrinated sufficiently.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you about indoctrination because you you describe – um you describe sort of the veneration of lee as chairman but you describe a couple of things when you visited samsung headquarters or at least the the um the uh, human resources headquarters there there was really remarkable sort of a dystopian place even where quotes from the chairman i i call i I will call him the leader broadcast over pas as everybody's walking around describe that culture and sort of what it does
1: there you're in this actually quite attractive surroundings it's like a big office park campus set up it's very sylvan you go into a lobby and there are words words have been carved into marble on the walls our principles our our goals in english also korean but you do hear from time to time the pre-recorded voice of the chairman who had been giving an address at some place or another coming out over the pa and this is just a matter of course and then when you go upstairs you see The main auditorium, which is called New Management Hall, and it's called that, by the way, because that's where the chairman delivered new management to the rest of the company after returning from Frankfurt. But just off to the side of that is this other room called the Frankfurt Room, and I walked in, and I was immediately unimpressed. It was a medium-sized conference room with a sort of rectangular conference table, drab pink tablecloth, bad fake floral centerpiece pair of microphones, high back black chair, and an oil painting of a, Ven- a Venetian canal. And it didn't look like much of anything. And I turned the, to the tour guide and I said, what, what is this? And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person in the world. And he said, these were the furnishings from the hotel in Frankfurt that the chairman delivered his speech in. We had it all brought here and we've reassembled it. They dismantled it and rebuilt it. Exactly the same configuration that it was. I mean it's like when you go to the Smithsonian, right? And it's like here's Julia Child's kitchen and here's Archie Bunker's chair. They've rebuilt it exactly. They've rebuilt it exactly. Well, what is
0: this? What does this, So that those are st- some. I consider them some sort of strange stories from yeah. inside of HQ. What does it say about Samsung's strategy? Because you describe the different ways in which Samsung takes over companies. Sometimes making instead of making one device, it's great. They make seven and see which one sticks, which ones people like best. Right. You also describe another thing. They they have a strategy of making parts for other companies. And then learning how they do business and then taking over. Can you describe
1: sort of that dynamic? It's fascinating. It's been working very well for Samsung. And what they basically do is they identify an industry where it takes a lot of money to get into it. A high amount of capital is required. So, for example, software isn't really interesting to them. But manufacturing is. And so take televisions. Back in 2000, excuse me, back in like 1994, Samsung started to make the LCD panels that would go into TVs. They weren't making the whole TV, just the panel. But that is a critical component. You cannot have a television without it. And they were making them and they were selling them. They were selling them to Sony. They were selling them to other manufacturers who needed them. By doing that, they gained an understanding of how the television manufacturing business worked. Well, then it was not a very big step for them to go from making the panel to making the entire thing.
0: And they've done this in a lot of other businesses as well. Microchips, screens for phones. This is this Absolute is their strategy. Right.
1: Exactly. They started by making RAM processors and flash memory before they started making smartphones.
0: And in that way, they learn their competitor's business by supplying them. And then in many ways, they've taken over. It's a fascinating, fascinating strategy. Sam Grobart with Bloomberg Businessweek has a cover story this week on not only the culture of Samsung, but also the business practices of Samsung. It's a fascinating read, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't understand that world very well. They are going after Apple in a big way. And this article will give you an idea of exactly how they're doing it. Sam Grobart. thank you. Thank you. Well, coming up, the New York Times Supreme Court reporter Adam Liptak helps us break down key arguments the court has heard on the Defense of Marriage Act this week. That's next. We want to hear your defense or objections to marriage. This is Mitch from Seattle. Those of us out there who never had any intention of actually getting married, the singles have to uh, contend with 1,138 Federal marital regulations and laws that are doing nothing but mucking up the tax code and discriminating against singles for no reason other than what? We don't want to be married. Millions of people want the right to get married. Some people just want the freedom to not be married. Call us at 8778-MY-TAKE. Be part of this conversation. You can find us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash The Takeaway. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.